Mini episode 1198 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1198. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with our go-to guy for all things basketball, FDH Lounge dignitary Ben Chu. And we are taking a look at the NBA season at midseason. We are just coming off of a discussion about uh, Kobe Bryant in our most recent mini-episode in terms of the effect of his passing uh, on the league and uh, wider society as well while we're at it. But uh, in, in terms of uh, the, the on-court picture of the NBA, certainly Kobe's uh, passing dominated All-Star Weekend as it was expected to, and a good part of the latter part of the first half of the season. But basically, this is sort of our stretch run preview because the NBA does it at, at such a late point in the regular season, doing the All-Star Game. Essentially, at this point, we are looking ahead uh, to the end of the season and the playoffs, as well as finding out what we learned from the first half. So we bring in Ben Chu to do that, and uh, Ben, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's been a predictable first half as far as some of the teams at the top, Milwaukee being up there, if not necessarily, uh, we, we may not have expected quite where they'd be, but we knew they'd be up there, uh, we knew that the Lakers and the Clippers would be, and Denver, uh, and Utah, but uh, there have also been some surprises as well. It's, it's been an interesting first half, whether or not the ratings have reflected it. Right, it's been a very I wouldn't say weird start, but it's also been a it, it's weirdly predictable. That's what I like to say, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the favorites we thought were going to be favorites were favorites, and a lot of these teams, like uh, obviously the one that comes to mind, Milwaukee, Miami, have entered the fray and are definitely going to be. It's going to be a weird sort of a big grind with the rest of the season, especially with Kobe Bryant and Jamie Kern passing. Check up to see where all these. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar finals, as it were. We just came off of the Joe Montana Super Bowl, but uh, yeah, we could be we could be seeing that. And when you look at it uh, again, many of the teams have been predictable towards the top, but in the Eastern Conference, some not necessarily as much. Uh, you know, you touched on it uh, there a little bit with uh, Miami. And uh, Jimmy Butler, one of the modern-day adherents to the Mamba mentality, certainly. Uh, The team that they've managed to put around him, uh, Big Bam up there making it happen in his own way, being very impactful. Uh, Again, Miami has been a team that has surpassed most people's expectations. The defending champion Toronto Raptors, how often can you say that the defending champions have surpassed expectations? Uh, But they have because uh, we all knew Siakam was going to be the next guy that they were going to be building around, but I think we felt it might take a little bit more time than that. And indeed, 40 and 15 at the All-Star break, that may not be a sustainable pace going forward, but 
hats off to them, nevertheless, for, for keeping their momentum from the championship going, despite losing arguably the best player in the world in Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Boston, a little bit of, I don't know if you'd call it addition by subtraction with not having Kyrie there, but they also lost Al Horford, uh, which was uh, un certainly subtraction by subtraction, but uh, the, the remaining parts have come together, uh, you know, chemistry-wise, they've been almost sort of the opposite of what they've been a year ago, uh, versus a, a team like, uh, you look like Indiana, that, that uh, it takes this long to get Oladipo back in there, but uh, Brogdon, uh, being the uh, the excellent piece that he is as far as a core guy to build around as he was in Milwaukee versus a team like Philadelphia that's in the mix with them. Philadelphia was supposed to be above some or all of these teams, and yet uh, when you talk about the chemistry of other teams, it's the chemistry that seems to have gone awry in Philadelphia, as well as the, the, the whole lingering question of whether these pieces really fit together. Is Ben Simmons ever going to be enough of a shooter to occupy the spot that he occupies in that lineup. So uh, in the Eastern Conference, if things have been a little bit topsy-turvy in the league this year, uh, it's been in the Eastern Conference and towards the top. Yeah, and uh, again, they have just been remarkable, the pace that they've been on. And again, Brogdon not being there, you and I have talked about this off-air recently, that it is impossible, it is literally impossible to make a case for the Ewing theory there with them being better off without him. Uh, but what they have managed to, to, to do in terms of the system that they have, and it just it speaks so well to the, the Greek freak that on paper, uh, you look at it, and he doesn't have uh, what you would consider to be the traditional amount of support that a superstar would have. Uh, think Golden State in recent years. Think even the Cavs when they were at their peak in recent years, when Kyrie was still there with, uh, with, with LeBron, and Kevin Love was certainly an excellent number three. You look at it, but, but again, this whole, we're going to do it with, with everyone coming together and, and being, so they're, they're sort of a machine uh, of, of other parts that also has Middleton and then the Greek freak. It's it's not the standard way to build a superpower in the league, but you can't argue with the results. Uh, I think what you have to give credit to Coach Mike Lindholzer for essentially mixed and matching these parts. That was kind of one of the things that everyone was critical of him when he was in Atlanta when they were running with that incredible team, Joe Johnson and Al Horford. 
Exactly, and post-Kyrie in Cleveland, it strikes me that this is what the Cavs were always trying to do with LeBron, and you could see it, but they just never had enough consistency in their other players. Ironically, George Hill being a common denominator in both, but George Hill, suffice to say, is not being leaned on in Milwaukee nearly to the degree that he was in Cleveland, and I think that makes a difference is the depth of these parts there. You get a little bit lower in the Eastern Conference standings as far as uh, the, the teams on the playoff bubble. Uh, you, you've got Brooklyn down there. Again, Kyrie, it's been kind of an up-and-down year for him. Uh, big highs and big lows. Uh, some of the teams that are in the picture as well. I'm going to give you credit. You were one of the only people I know before the year that called it as far as Washington uh, being a team that wasn't going to be. I thought they were going to, a team that was going to win in the teens, uh, and they've already uh, surpassed what I thought for the year. Uh, it is criminal that Bradley Beal didn't make the All-Star game. Charlotte has kind of faded, but they were a team that was in the playoff mix there for uh, for a good chunk of the way. You called it on them as well. They're not going to be as bad as everyone else thinks. Part of this is the revolution in pace this year that, again, has something to do with why Washington also, for all their success, has a historically bad defense at the same time, and that's the reason that they're uh, on the outside of the playoff picture looking in today as opposed to being in it. Uh, but uh, the, the bottom of the conference, as far as uh, the 7-seed, 8-seed, and the teams that are, that are just missing the playoff picture right there, those teams collective really give, give you a very interesting sense in a lot of different ways of where the league is at right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's going to be lower tier teams right now. We, we all tend to forget Brooklyn's going to be getting set to ring up. I think they can possibly be back to uh, the elite status of the league competition in the Eastern Conference. But a lot of these teams are, we don't talk about Orlando a lot. They're still, I believe, at this point, the uh, eighth seed. And they still have a very solid event to so Mitch Aaron Gordon, who probably got robbed from another dunk contest. Um, they just, they've been playing very well and they've been. agree with that. You mentioned the Cavs. We'll get to them at the end, uh, just like we did with our season preview, because it is worth revisiting some of the things that we said about them, uh, many of which, believe it or not, I would still stand behind. Before going to the West, I do want to ask you this. Looking at the sixth seed in the East currently, Indiana, getting back Oladipo with everything they were able to do with Brogdon, who was able to sort of fill that role for them in the first half of the season, and you look at the way that the pieces have fit in with that team. You've got Warren in there. Uh, and and uh, the way that things have really gone. Am I crazy to think in looking at this here that once they fully get everything going with Oladipo and Brogdon used to playing together, that this is a team that could be a dark horse to make a run to the conference finals? I don't think they're wrong at all. They've, Indiana's proven all season that 
that's it. That we we are looking to have, I think, extraordinarily interesting playoffs, which has not been the case uh, for for quite some time in the East. Particularly when you're talking about the first round, we could have some a number of first round series that are intriguing in the East. It's not as much of a surprise when it happens in the West because the West has been historically uh, deeper than the East and and has had a number of teams that have really been kind of bunched up. As far as at the top. The Lakers, Denver being one and two, uh, that's what a lot of people would have seen coming into the year, particularly because we didn't know how long it was going to take Paul George to come back, but the Clippers are already nipping at their heels. Utah, after something of a weird start, kind of getting it together, and uh, they're at a 667 win percentage clip, so they're going to probably factor out right about to where we thought they'd be. Houston, uh, they're a team that has had uh, some issues this year. They decided to go in another direction with Capella, uh, but then it's kind of doubling down on being a smaller kind of a team. We'll see if it plays out that way. But when you look at the last three teams that would be in the playoffs if the season ended today, OKC, Dallas, and Memphis, all huge surprises. Memphis, it looked like, was in the midst of a rebuild-slash-tank around Mor- Morant. We didn't know they'd be this good this quickly. You could say the same thing for Dallas. We knew Luka Doncic coming off of year one. We knew he was already a very elite player. Uh, but he has just continued to grow, and CP3 is having the late career renaissance of a lifetime in Oklahoma City, carrying that roster, uh, him and SGA getting them to where they've been at. So uh, the West has just been uh, really, really, really fascinating, and you, you could be looking at a minimum of three very interesting first-round series in the playoffs if things keep going the way that they are. Right. Yeah, that's a question that has to be answered. And when you look at that, yeah, OKC at least has remnants of teams that made runs, and that's the whole thing. That, that Golden State was the team that pretty much blocked out everybody else in the West the last several seasons, 
and they are basically taking their knee for this year, and uh, they have the worst record in the conference, unsurprisingly so, given all the injuries that they have there, plus the defection of Kevin Durant. So you're left to look at teams and kind of squint. Like San Antonio has a handful of guys uh, who were part of the winning program uh, the last time there. Oklahoma City, like I said, guys who've made a run. Houston, uh, they've got guys who've been on that team who've been who've made it as far as the conference finals. And obviously LeBron with the Lakers, but that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at remnants. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard obviously has been a big-time winner, but really nobody else on the Clippers to this point. Paul George, I think, had made it to a conference finals. So, yeah, as far as everyone having to prove something here in the West, you put your finger on it, that's a very overlooked element of this. touched on this uh, briefly to this point, but the revolution in pace that is happening uh, right now where so many teams are averaging over 100 points a game and uh, again the whole pace and space thing is really just kind of exploding. The three-point revolution, a uh, part of that, and that's been part of the game for the last five years plus, but as far as the pace uh, part of it right now, this is the thing where it strikes me. You look at a team like the Lakers and this is a very inconvenient hinge of history for one LeBron James because uh, he has been basically a force of will the last two, three years in particular in terms of his teams playing a slowdown style, whatever, not playing a style that is going to be unsustainable for him. But as far as what he's going to be looking at like come May, much less June, obviously his conditioning is obviously as strong as it is for, for just about anybody in the league, much less anyone at his age. But science and father time are what they are. So after going through a season where pace has been pushed, I won't say like never before, but not like it has been for a long time, one wonders the effect that it's going to have on some of these aging teams. It really is, and, and seeing how it all plays out and seeing what the effects are going to be, it's really going to be something that is just uh, fascinating because, again, these hinge moments in history when things are moving and changing very rapidly, and uh, when, when we did our preseason preview, we could not have forecast the amount that pace was going to go up this year alone. We've been moving towards greater pace in the game, and that is something of an equalizer, and I think, uh, again, 
that that is something where when you look at say Washington and Charlotte again you're the big outlier on that you called that they were not going to be necessarily the dregs of the league that I thought they were going to be but it seems to me this has been something of an equalizer around the league in terms of talent the teams have figured out that this is one of these market inefficiencies that they can take advantage of we may not have as much talent on our roster but if we push the pace we might be able to hang or even beat uh, a team that's better than us but not as well conditioned. Right, and we've seen already this season for the talking piece overall. We've seen teams come back from deficits that were, I thought, unfathomable in periods of time. We saw earlier this year Toronto beat Dallas after coming back from a 28 point deficit in the fourth quarter. That is one of the things that uh, could mitigate the rating situation. What's happened early on a little bit is the, the excitability uh, of the games. And uh, in, in terms of that, uh, the Elam system that we saw at the All-Star game, it had such a very good first kind of uh, reception, uh, unsurprisingly so, given the fact that it was almost the perfect scenario for playing it out the way that the game finished. This is going to be one of these things. The, the NBA has been open to radical reconstruction the last couple of years, even potentially being open to doing away with conferences for seeding in the playoffs. So one would think that that is something that's going to get a look at as far as being an antidote to the low ratings, particularly, like you said, the, the style of play is one that is deemed more exciting by a lot of folks right now as opposed to the extreme Mike Fratello slowdown style. So these are things I'm sure that Adam Silver is taking a very, very close look at in, in trying to keep the ratings stable going into what is going to be the next uh, TV uh, negotiation deal, because those things are never as far away as you think they are. Right, and I think it's just generally with the ratings just overall, I think early on, I, I think it's, if we're being honest, I wasn't super surprised by the things of the ratings. I mean, we're coming off of the lengthy Golden State run where they were the dominant team. And we also live in a world, Rick, where you can think gratification or commodification on your cell phone. Right. You don't necessarily need to watch all the games to know what's going on in the NBA. And I, I, to, to act like rating for the be-all and end-all, uh, we're not trying to sell MVP Thursday night lineup here at basketball. It's professional basketball with the elites of the elites. And I think across all sports, we're going to see him stand right 
No, that's true. That's a very good point. Uh, one of the teams that we knew was not going to be very good coming into this season, but you and I had some kind of long-term optimism for them, nevertheless, coming into the year. Cleveland Cavaliers, my hometown team. They were for a brief period of your life, your hometown team as well. And uh, in looking at it, with John Beeline coming in, a young nucleus, I still say in looking at this, and again, they're bringing them along very slowly, and it's probably the right thing. Kevin Porter Jr. still has the upside to where it looks like he could become a big star in this league. Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, you're getting ups and downs from these guys. Uh, Sexton had a nice all-star weekend which with the Rising Stars game, which should only help things improve with him. His defense and his assists uh, still a work in progress, to be kind. Uh, Garland has been up and down as a rookie as well. Uh, Andre Drummond coming to the Cavs right before the All-Star break, that was a surprise. But somehow or another, through what was a very difficult first half, it appears to have gotten too much for John Beeline. As we record this, it looks like the Cavs are in the final stages of parting with him. Uh, I may look like an idiot for saying that if by the time I post this they have reconciled with him. But, again, it looks like it's only a matter of time. When it gets out that you were contemplating leaving, you're dead man walking. So this is a situation where, in some ways, it's gone even worse than a lot of people thought it would. There's not too many ways where it's gone better, although I would still point to Kevin Porter Jr. and the fact that he not only looked like he belonged in the league from day one, he's shown flashes from day one, and they're bringing him along slowly, but... You're looking at a guy that looks like he could be a centerpiece. I continue to pine for James Wiseman in the next draft. I continue to say, potentially, this team may not be as far away as people think in terms of the talent here. They have the ability to score the ball, even if their defense has been just abysmal. Uh, and, and again, some of these guys are not going to be part of the long-term deal going forward. Kevin Love, at some point, is probably going to get flipped for somebody, uh, even if it's just a draft asset, but... What do you think in terms of where we were at the beginning of the season with some of the long-term optimism that we had versus where we're at right now? Well, in terms of the beginning of the season, it's probably the only sort of, you know, show that we'll talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> it's been hard. I mean, I think there was optimism for that team against the young players. They were going to come along a little bit further, but the issue they brought into the defense, yes, we noted, I think they're in the bottom five of the defensive ratings in the league. They have a lot of Rebuild. They are still kind of bereft of guys that they need. 
agree with that, but I will say this, one of the weirder things that I saw, and again, everyone loves to be knee-jerk on Twitter, but when the news came out during the All-Star game, which is the most bizarre timing imaginable for a potential uh, major piece of news like this, and this is a major piece of news around the league, because as you say, John Beeline is not just somebody who's the coach of a team with a poor record, he's somebody who came into this league with a lot of stature, to leave at mid-season his first year on a five-year deal, that's big news around the league, and it breaks during the All-Star game, which, again, is just weird as hell. But one of the more bizarre pieces of early commentary on Twitter was somebody like, well, but his specialty was players 18 to 22. I was like, hello, have you seen this roster? So I get what they were looking at. I mean, you're looking at a bunch of raw, young, talented guys on this roster, such like he got at Michigan. The irony is, for the most part, at Michigan, I mean, Jawan Howard is, is able to do it a little bit differently there, which is why medium to long term they may have actually benefited from the situation they got thrown into, that he was actually dealing with higher ceiling guys than he had at Michigan. But maybe having the guys who are, you know, on a scale of 1 to 5 in terms of talent, they're a 3.5 or a 4 instead of a 4.5 or a 5, maybe that was his comfort level was the 3.5s and the 4s and getting the most out of them. It takes a very special kind of a guy. Again, Beeline being such a good teacher. I mean, I, I understood the move at the time. I really, really did. Yeah, and logically, it makes sense. The problem is, I think, he ran into the old problem that a lot of us have when you're dealing with two different types of people. And when you deal with young rookies and teaching veterans, don't buy into the system of law narrative. It's very easy, very quick to lose interest in a coach. And I, I don't think Beeline lost the Cavaliers. I would think it's just more that I don't Right. Well, the other part of this is, and who knows how much this is involved in this, and I'm, I'm going to be very, very limited in what I say about this because it's all speculation, but the circumstances where his son resigned as coach, I think it was at Niagara, that happened a while ago, and I remember at the time, a couple of us noted that, like, oh, that's interesting, but apparently the circumstances involved, the toll that it took on the family was a bigger burden on him, perhaps, than anybody knew until now. And that's part of it as well, and that's one of these unforeseen things in life, that if, if your son runs into a setback, and certainly it's a setback to lose your job, regardless of what the circumstances are, but that's the kind of thing none of us could have necessarily foreseen at the beginning of the year. And uh, he's a very family-oriented individual, and you know certainly that's going to take a toll on him. Very nice man by all counts. Uh, as a Cavs fan, I wish him the best going forward if indeed he is uh, parting from 
my favorite team. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was worth taking a look at because you and I was a little bit of a clip and save at the beginning of the year. Like, ah, people are crapping on this team long term. They may be wrong, and I still think they may be wrong. Uh, but right now, those people are probably gloating about uh, their poor assessment of the team at the beginning of the year. But uh, it's always interesting to revisit any of the things from the beginning of the year to where we are now. And as you said at the beginning, many of the powers of the league this year were foreseeable coming into the year. And uh, again, you know, particularly Milwaukee and the Lakers being at the top of their conferences, nobody would have even blinked at that at the beginning of the year. So we shall see how it plays out. Uh, and as it does, it'll be uh, fun to revisit with you, Ben. But uh, at this moment in time, uh, it has been great to examine the landscape of the league with you, my friend, as always. Great to have you here. The great Ben Chu, everybody. FDH Lounge Dignitary. And uh, this has been FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1198, looking at the stretch run of the NBA in the 2019-2020 season.